Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. You may be seated this evening. I want to welcome everyone that's here. And uh, thank you to uh, my pastors for giving me this time to minister this evening and to the pastoral team with entrusting me to deliver the word tonight. And, uh, you know, I wasn't going to talk football at all. Um, but I want to make something clear. I did not ghost my pastor. Okay, well, I, I actually started working on this sermon because I was so angry. Um, my wife could attest to that. I had the computer out watching the game. I'm like, oh my God, this is frustrating. Lord, help me, you know. But anyways, um, my season's over, so now I get my life back. At least that's what it feels like. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, but um, winning is a burden. Um, and we had the best record in the league. We'll be back there again. But anyways, that's beside the point. I, I really want to get started quickly tonight. I do have a lot to go over. Um, and we're in this series, Made for More. We're ending it. And I think this is probably the last sermon for this series. Uh, and I wanted to, I didn't get a chance to preach in this series yet. So I said, you know what, I want to I do that. I, I want to share some thoughts. And I really want to talk about that you're made for more in, in, a, in a connection sense. That you're made to connect with God on levels that you've never thought of before. And honestly, I think when we accept Jesus... We come to Jesus with all these influences in our life. We are a product of the influences that we've had in our lives. The way you talk, the way you speak, the way you, the, the attitudes that we have, uh, the DNA that's inside of us, our family, our culture, it's all influenced us. And so, you know, when I accepted Jesus, I realized that there had to be a clear division in what's and in the way I was influenced and how I'm going to start living my life. In other words, things need to be different. Things need to change. No longer can I be influenced with the world and try to bring that into my relationship with the Lord. When I started to read God's word, I realized that God's word contradicts a lot of what the world wants you to do. And you start to read it like, well, okay, you know, I, MTV taught me to do this. TRL told me to do this at 3.30 p.m., right? Some of you, I just dated myself, and you did too. If you know what TRL is, you're running home after school to watch them videos, right? So, I, again, that, that brought influence, right? And, and so these influences are now in friction. When you, when you receive Jesus, you now have this friction in your life because Jesus is saying you are not to live like the world anymore. And so um, I, wanna, I wanna read you a scripture of what Jesus' purpose was on this earth. This is Jesus talking, and it's, it's a lengthy scripture, but I'm gonna read it fairly quickly in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, and then we'll pray. It says, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. This is horrible. This is Jesus talking, not me, okay? Verse 50 goes on to say, I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. 
From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, when you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes a shower. And you are right. When the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher. And it is, you fools. You know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. That's what Jesus says. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to hear your word. Lord, we thank you that you're going to be here today, Father, that your spirit is already amongst us, Lord, that you've already made connections with your people. Father, help us to understand that we're made for more. And we thank you, Lord, for your plans this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was um, in high school, before I accepted Jesus, so... You're going to have to take the plank out of your eye here, okay? Before I accepted Jesus, I had influences in my life. As a matter of fact, I had a group of guys that I would hang out with all the time. I had my, um, you know, my, the guys that I, I played sports with, and then I had a separate group in high school of guys that we just hung out, we did lunch, we were friends, guys that you would call, and, you know, pager, you know, th- those of you that are old enough to remember pagers, right? You paid your boy page your girl, right? So we, uh, you know, I, I, so my friends, you know, I, they, were, they were cool, you know, but I started to act like them, I realized, the more I hung out with them. And, and one time, you know, there started to, to, to be whispers of, of challenges of this trend going on where we would steal pizza. And we would begin to just steal pizza. It wasn't me, okay, but, but people started to say, hey, so-and-so in that class, he stole two pizzas yesterday. I go, really? Yeah. And then the next week, hey, someone, so-and-so in that other class, he stole three pizzas. And we're not talking about slices, okay? So you couldn't put them in your pocket. We're talking about large pizzas. All right? And so, you know, I got the courage. I was influenced, right? We were talking at school, and they're like, hey, uh, which one of you guys want to do? You think we could do five? I said, I think we could do like six or eight. All right? You know how it goes, guys, right? Like, no, we can do six or eight. Let's go all in. Rob, you're not down. I said, I'm down. Let's do it. He's like, oh, don't tell us, dude. We'll do it. I said, you serious? Okay, yeah, Jay's got a van. I said, okay, well, now we're in really deep. The conversation had led us now to where we need to start talking about a plan. So what's our plan? So I said, well, there's this new fine establishment called Little Caesars down the street. Okay. And it was new back then. I was 17 years old. So it was new. And so this is how, so I started talking to the guy that did three. I said, how'd you do it? He tells me how he does it. Okay, And basically, you call, you order ahead. You call, you say, I need three pizzas. I'm going to come there and pick them up. Okay. And then when he puts them on the table, right, he puts all the pizzas on the table and he goes to the cashier, you grab and you run. I was like, okay, that's easy enough. All right. So I tell the boys, I said, hey, we, got, we, we could do it. We're going to do five. 
And he goes, you, you really want to do this? I said, yeah, let's do it after school. We're going to do five. So, all right. So they all come to my house. I call. I said, let's get five pizzas, you know. And so my boy, Jay, sure enough, brought the van just according to plan. So we're in this van. It's like a 1990s van. Okay, we're in this van. And by the way, I never told my parents this story. So this is partly a confession if they're watching. And so... We picks me up in the van. There's like four of us in the van. We're just complete idiots, right? Just full of testosterone. It's a mess, okay? And so, sure enough, I go in there, and, Jay, and Jay's like, I'm going to park in this alleyway. You know, when I see you coming out, I'm going to swing by, and so-and-so's going to open up the door. You're going to dive in. You're just going to get in, and we're going to leave, and we got it. I said, perfect plan, okay? <laughs> so, sure enough, he brings out the pizzas. He puts them on the counter. And uh, I look at him, and I'm getting really scared. <laughs> like, I'm like, he's going to notice, right? Like, I'm shaking like this. He's going to notice. And I didn't have any money. So he puts them down, and I'm like, I got no money. I'm all in here. So I grab the pizzas, and I run out the door. This guy jumps over the table. <laughs> so now... Now, mind you, I'm like, I'm sagging my pants because I'm 17 years old. I didn't think ahead of this. And so I'm running with like five pizzas. The homie Jay comes around. Sure enough, according to plan, he slides open the door and he's running after me. I could feel the guy. He's like right on me. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to go to jail. I dive into the van and I hit the other side of the chassis. And my boy closes the door. The guy's hand almost gets in there. And pizza's flying all over the place. And I literally, we looked at each other. We're like, yeah! Like, we're screaming like, like, yeah! Like, we took it to the man, you know? Like, it's the stupidest thing I ever did. Like, one of the dumbest things. We're just screaming at each other. We did it! Yeah! You know? And so, it was, it was just full of testosterone. I mean, complete immaturity. And so we go to my, my friend Jay's house. We're eating the pizza. The ones, that, the ones that didn't get messed up. Go to school the next day. And we're like, hey, uh, Rob, I heard you got five. So I did. I got five, man. Got five. Walking down the, you know, the, the hallway. Hey, Rob, you got five. Check this out. Back then it was cool. This isn't, this isn't cool. Some girl gave me a note. Hey, let's talk. Hey, how you been? You know? Like, it's picking up. The rep is picking up. All right? And I'm like, it's feeling pretty good. So I go to practice after school. Coach goes, hey, no, no, no. We need to talk. I was like, oh, my God. He goes, heard you got five. I go, yeah, I did, coach. I got five. He's all, you're not playing the next two games. I was devastated. Partly of that was just because I was just stupidly influenced. And it was just a dumb thing just to kind of get some laughs. But I realized I hurt somebody. I, I stole something. You know, so I told my coach, like, hey, you're not going to tell my parents, right? He goes, no, you are. And I never did. <laughs> I never did. I wasn't going to tell my parents. 
<laughs> and so I, I realized at that point, you know, we did some stupid stuff just being influenced for just a moment, for just a, just a moment of reputation. We did some dumb things. And, and, you know, when Jesus talks about causing division, you know, you have to really now divide that, those influences out of your life. And if you don't divide those influences out of your life, you're gonna continually be in friction with your savior. In other words, temptation can now, you know, creep in because that connection is just not strong enough. It's an intermittent connection. It's a connection that goes in and out. It's a connection that is just not reliable. Right, And so now you have this intermittent connection and, and what you can't do is you can't allow these worldly influences now to try to weaken that connection. And you know what? Because if you do, you'll start to realize that you start to fade away. There's a new understanding that we need to have. In Proverbs chapter three, verse five, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. I wanna know the path that God has for me. I want to know that path. And if I am continuing to make this connection with the world, I will never see that path. I will be in constant confusion in my life. Do I listen to the internet or do I listen to God's word? Do I listen to my friends or do I listen to God's word? Do I listen to my parents or do I listen to God's word? And so we have this friction that we now need to resolve in our own Lives. And so what I want to talk to you about is just a, a couple ways where you could build a stronger connection with the Lord. And I'm not talking about, yeah, okay, just for the sake of the foundation. Yeah, read God's word, worship, right? Uh, come to church. All those will build that stronger connection. But there's other things. And the first thing I want to tell you is, that, is you need to stop the worldly influences. You have to stop anything that you were doing in the world you need to flee from. You need, to leave, you need to leave that thinking alone. And I, I know a lot of us are used to certain things that our family tells us and, and that you know, we grew up thinking. Even those things, God challenges. Because he comes to divide the world. That's what I read to you. He comes to divide you from your family, the way you think, the way you act, the way you engage them. That's the stuff you don't like that Jesus says. He says some things that are gonna rattle your cage a little bit. It's challenging. And so we need to stop that way of thinking. We need to get rid of the old friends. We need to, you know, what kind of media is taking you back to those old ways? Is it social media? Is it music? Is it something that is keeping you down? Then ask yourself, why do you wanna continue to think like the world? Why do you want to continue to think like the world? You've accepted Jesus, you believe in him, you read his word, but you still want to think like the world. This is what scripture says about worldly thinking. I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you right now, so buckle up. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself enemy. 
an enemy of God. Colossians 3, chapter, or Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Ask yourselves, do you still love the world that you were supposed to leave behind? Do you still love the world that you were supposed to leave behind? You know, one of the problems I have and I see in church a lot, and this is happening in, in not just in our church. I know it's happening in our church. But it's happening in other churches as well. Is some of us have multiple social media accounts. We have secret ones. And there's people in the church that are friends of those accounts. So you have like this evil account that you connect with other people's evil accounts with. And then if I try to befriended that account, the pastor's not allowed to. And you know what that, you know what that says to me? That's, you're hiding something. Why am I saying this? Well, because I, I've seen it. There, there's a, a separate account, a separate life where you're, all your Christian friends can see. And then there's the other one where you could, you know, put all your dank, dirty memes and send it to your other friends. Again, there's no separation. You wanted to hold on to that life. You wanted to hold on to something that God cannot have. And you're saying, God, yeah, you do want to cause division, but I want to keep this little part, God. I'm only going to allow you to have a piece of my life, not all of it. I need this burner account. And let me tell you something. If you have a spouse and you have that, do I need to say anything else to that? But we, what we happens, we accept Jesus and then we go to church and then what happens is, we're, look, we all, we're all sinners, right? But don't you, bring, don't you bring your sin in this church. Don't bring sin into the church. You repent of that sin at church. But don't bring it into the church to where now you're looking for somebody that has the same sin. Like, hey, you do that too? I've seen it happen. Now, instead of Jesus causing division, you decide to cause division. And what you're doing is you're allowing this to operate in the church and you're looking for people that are operating in the same manner. It's almost like two demons playing with each other. I think a lot of times, a lot of it can be sexual in nature. It could be dirty, filthy. And then we see somebody else that's acting and reacting in the same way, you begin to entertain it. Again, it's you wanting Jesus, but you don't want the sacrifice of the world in your life. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does, who does what pleases God will live forever. So I don't know about you, church, but I want to please God. I don't want this world to have all this influence on me to where it could destroy my marriage, it could destroy my children, my life, my career. And that's what the world does. The world wants you to be unsuccessful in your spirituality. The world wants you to fail at church. Not fail in the world, but fail at church. 
It doesn't want you to go to church anymore. It wants to rip you away from anything that has to do with holiness. That's the strategy of the enemy. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. See, when we don't focus on our spiritual weaknesses, I call that spiritual negligence. Those of you that don't know what negligence is, it's when you neglect something, right? So maybe you accepted Jesus, but you've neglected to cultivate that relationship. In other words, you have not seen the true value to where you know it can bring something greater. Rather, you hold on to the world thinking that that could bring the greatness. But it's Jesus, when he lives inside of us, he should not be neglected. So you need to stop spiritual negligence in your life. You need to stop neglecting God. You need to shift the way you're thinking. See, God is doing way more than you think in your life, but you wouldn't know it unless you have a strong connection with him. Now, I'm gonna read you this story. I'm just gonna warn you, it's a little bit of a sad story, all right? And it's about a girl named Lily. And it says this, this is negligence, okay? In the heart of Harmonyville stood a once thriving playground that brought joy to the town's children. However, the negligence of the town council cast a dark shadow over its innocence. As routine inspections lapsed and maintenance was neglected, the playground structures deteriorated. One sunny day, tragedy struck. Lily, a seven-year-old full of life, climbed to the top of the play structure. Unaware of its weakened support beam, the structure collapsed trapping Lily and the other children beneath the debris. Emergency services rushed to the scene, but the damage was done. The town now gripped by grief turned its anger toward the negligent council. Lily's parents, devastated by the loss, sought justice for their daughter and others affected. Harmonyville's story serves as a poignant reminder of the devastating consequences of negligence. It highlights the importance of diligence and responsibility in safeguarding the well-being of others. Let me tell you something about negligence. It's never planned. We never plan to neglect anything, right? We just don't do that. We don't plan for negligence, but the thing about negligence, it's never done intentionally. It's never planned, but it carries a massive consequence, not just in your life, but in the lives of others. I'm gonna say it again, it costs a heavy, heavy price in the life of others. Now, what do I mean by that? Your spiritual negligence can hurt your marriage, it can hurt your kids, it can hurt your family, it can begin to tear down your career, it can tear down everything that you love in your life. Your spiritual negligence can, can cost you that much. Even when you don't pray, it's an almost an act of genocide when you don't pray for sick family members. When you don't pray for people that are hurting or, or, or you, know, you, don't, you don't even stand in that gap because you lack the spiritual care, right? It begins to impact other people around you. And I don't know about you, when I started going to church, I realized at work that people would ask me to pray for them. 
And I wasn't a leader or anything like that. Well, you go to church, can you pray? Can you do those things? And there was times where I said, no, I ain't gonna do that. That's weird. I just go to church. Yeah, I go to church. It doesn't mean I, you know, am the church. It doesn't mean I'm gonna do church here. You're laughing, but some people have that attitude. It's like, yeah, I go to church, but I don't do church here. Yeah, you go to church, my pastor will pray for you. Again, because you're lacking spiritual negligence, care, you don't even know how to pray for somebody. Spouses, you have a duty to your marriage and household to instill godly values. Are you doing that? See, just like you never plan for temptation, you never plan to have an affair, you never plan to sleep with your Christian boyfriend or girlfriend or fornicate, which destroys Christian relationships, by the way. You didn't plan to get drunk. You never planned to look at pornography. You didn't plan to be rude to that family member. You never planned to cuss at your kids or your spouse. You don't plan to become addicted to something because you don't plan to pray. You didn't plan to reach out for spiritual help. You didn't plan to pick up his word. You didn't plan to have influence over your household. You didn't plan to build a stronger relationship or connection with the Father. You didn't plan any of that. You're guilty of spiritual negligence. Your lack of planning on your spiritual life brings spiritual negligence that can impact everything around you. I love this saying. I remember when I was in high school, someone told me this, the devil's in the details. And he'd write it up on the, and I was like, what does that even mean? It means the devil's everywhere. But he's not in front of your face. He's in the details. He's not in front of your face. He's not waving his hand. He's not saying, I'm over here, watch out for me. He's not doing anything like that. He's in the details. He's in the details of your life. He's operating in some, at somebody to get back at you. He's in the details. He's crafty, just like he was when he was a serpent. He's crafty. And I don't know about you, church, but we have a value here. It's called life on life. All right? And, we have a, and, and really, life on life is teaching, imparting, and being living examples of Christ for others to follow how we disciple. And so I want to encourage you that you have people around you. We built a community together, not just one of us, but we have built a community together where we can worship God together. We can come to each other. We can pray for each other and we can get rid of that spiritual negligence that we have in our own lives. But it takes us being brave. It takes us going out, reaching out, not us waiting by the phone. Oh, I hope somebody calls me. No, if you're going through something, you pick up the phone and you call somebody. It's spiritual negligence when you don't reach out and you don't ask for help. Your marriage is in shambles. Your, your parenting skills, you need help. Or We're here, we're built on a community of life on life to help each other, amen? And so I, I, I think about, um, I've, been, I've been, I don't know why I've been a, attracted to this individual in the, in the Bible and his name is Judas. And I, be, I, I keep reading and studying Judas. There's actually not a whole lot about him in the Bible, but I keep coming back to him. And, and I, I just don't want what was inside of Judas to be inside of me. So I, I think that's what attracted me in my studies to start reading more about him. And as I begin to study and, and, and learn about him, I started to realize that there were specific moments where Judas kind of looked like 
He was waiting for a better opportunity. In John chapter 13, verse 21, this is at the, the Last Supper. It says this, it says, now Jesus was deep, deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at each other wondering whom he could, be, who, whom he could mean. The, disciples, uh, the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask, who is he talking about? So the disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who are you talking about? Who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one whom I give this bread, I dip in the bowl. And when he has dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten this bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant, since Judas was their treasurer. Some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. So it's an unfortunate event that Jesus begins to dip the bread. He says, the one I hand it to is gonna be the one that is gonna betray me. That's gonna be the one. You know what Jesus does? I love this. He let them know who it was gonna be. And then when Jesus does that, he whispers to Judas, this is my favorite part, hurry and do what you're going to do. I think this was a human element of Jesus saying that this is gonna be painful, so please hurry up and do it. Everyone at the table, as the scriptures were reading, everyone at the table is kind of like, oh, he's the treasurer, he's just gonna go get more food or pay the bill. But Jesus knew what was happening in those moments. And the Bible says that Judas left. He leaves this moment. And what's interesting about this moment is once he leaves, God begins to tell everything to the disciples at the table. It's pretty insane. He begins to tell them these things. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God glorified in him. He tells them, I am leaving, but where I go, you cannot come. So he starts talking about heaven. The new commandment, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus begins to preach to the table. And he says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if I don't leave, the helper cannot come. He begins to tell them everything about himself and who he is, about salvation. But who wasn't at the table? It was Judas. Jesus begins to spill all the secrets about his relationship with the Father. He begins to tell him the plan for this earth. But Judas, for some reason, didn't get to hear that. Judas got to witness miracles. Judas got to hear everything else. Judas got to travel with Jesus. He was entrusted with the money. But for some reason, God did not trust him to even hear this part of his message. When I think about that, I think about God probably looking upon Judas knowing the whole time, you love me, but you're waiting for a better opportunity. You love me, you'll follow me, you'll help me, but I can't trust you. That's what I don't want in my life. 
I don't want to get an ounce of what Judas had. Because at the time when Jesus begins to dip the bread and he hands it to him, there's something creepy that happens in that scripture. He says, Satan entered him. In other words, God delivered him unto Satan and said, look, if he wants to act this way, even though he followed me, even though he saw the miracles, even though he knows who I am, if he wants to act that way, go. Hey, Judas, here you go. Hurry up. I don't want God to do that to you. So are you really in this? I could preach hard because it's Wednesday, okay? So don't look at me all weird. Okay? This is intentional. Okay? I just don't want to see you in hell. Well, I won't be there, so I won't see you. Good luck, guys. Call it a night. Good night. I'm just kidding. But could you imagine you're in ministry with Jesus and he tells everyone else all this cool stuff, but he tells you to get the heck out. Why? Because you're not ready for it. You're not ready for this. Those other disciples, they had a stronger connection. Even Peter had a stronger connection. He was sitting right next to Jesus. The scripture said that. Sitting right next to Jesus. Had a strong connection with Jesus. Had a strong connection with the other disciples. Everyone was in sync. But for whatever reason, Judas brought a different spirit to the table. Where Jesus says, I can't have you sit here. You can't understand this plan. It's greater than what you're feeling. There is a stronger connection that God wants to build with you. But it's going to take effort from you. You need to fall deeper in love with him. You need to stop with the spiritual negligence in your life. Just waiting for pastor to hit a good nerve that's going to bring you to the altar. I want to show you what spiritual negligence looks like. This is what it looks like. Go ahead and put that picture up, guys. So I think I've showed this picture before. I was saved like 17 years when I saw this picture and it hit me hard. I don't know why. I'm, I'm not a big cartoon guy, but it, it kind of speaks for itself. Jesus has something greater for you. You have something, but I love it, God. I love this. I can't give this up. But Jesus is like, no, I've got something better for you. Yeah, but I love this. I love this part, God. I don't want to give you that. Yeah, but I got something better for you. Yeah, but I love it. I love this addiction. I love pornography. I love all this stuff. I don't want to give you this, Lord. I don't want to give you this part of my life. I don't want to give you this piece of my career. I don't want to be held accountable. So let me hold on to this. But God's like, no, I got so much greater for you. No, 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 no. I'm going to hold on to this. But I'm still going to do ministry. I'm still going to do all these things for you, Lord. But I want to hold on to this. You're waiting for a better opportunity. Maybe just a little bit like Judas. See, because it starts there. You can take that picture down, guys. It starts there. And it grows. It begins to get thicker. It becomes heavier. And it becomes a fog between you and God to where you can't even see him anymore. And it just becomes dense. Because of the spiritual negligence that you have in your life. See, you're trying to hold on to something that's a fraction of the gift of God. 
It's a fraction, but you're holding on to it. And it's keeping you away from connecting with God in new levels, in new heights. And it's not until you bring that repentance and that trust into him. Just to finish up with Judas, you know, it continues on that Judas sells out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Do you know what that is equivalent to today? 260 bucks. That's a sellout. Sells out Jesus for $260. How strong is your relationship and your connection towards the Lord? And let me ask it a different way so you can challenge yourself. What value is God really bringing in your life? And if you ask yourself, I don't see any value, that's your fault, not his. That's your fault and not God's fault. That's not the church's fault. That's not your leader's fault. That's not your best friend in church's fault. That's your fault. If your connection is not good with God, it's because you're not reading his word. It's because you're not believing in everything. And it's because you no longer see the value that he can bring into your life. The other thing is you need to stop entertaining excuses. Stop entertaining excuses. You know what excuses do? They, they create a narrative that is governed by fear. It's a narrative that's governed by fear. And you know what? These excuses are so heavy. They're really heavy, right? And if you allow fear to rule your life, you're gonna have limited opportunities. You're gonna go stagnant. You're gonna have impaired relationships. You're gonna have mental and emotional health issues, all because of fear. You have physical health consequences. You'll have regret. You'll have loss of independence, negativity, pessimism, physical symptoms, missed enjoyments because you've allowed fear to rule your life. I remember this passage between Moses and God. This passage is powerful because Moses is kind of acting like a sissy. I got so mad at him when I read this. It's like, man, you saw all this stuff with God and you still denied him to use you. In Exodus chapter four, we're gonna read it together. It says, verse one, it says, but Moses protested again, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? So here's Moses talking to God. He's like, what if, God, you're putting me in charge of all this stuff. You want me to, to, to get the Israelites out. What if they don't believe me? What if, what, if, what if they don't hear me? What if they don't listen to me? And look what he says. Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? And he says, a shepherd's staff. Moses replied, throw it down on the ground. The Lord told him, so Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back up. Then the Lord told him, reach out, grab it by its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. So Moses witnesses a miracle. Not only witnesses it, but he partook in that miracle. He was a substance in that miracle. God used him to show him a miracle, right? Verse five says, perform this sign, the Lord told him. God's gonna give him another one, check this out. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of their Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside your cloak. 
So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took, out it, took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back in your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses puts it back in his cloak, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. See, church, this is interesting. God is telling Moses, hey, I'm going to show you these miracles, but you're going to experience the miracles. And so this is what God is trying to tell you and I through this story, is if you trust in me, you're going to see the miracles. You're going to experience the miracles. But how are you going to react to those miracles? See, God is trying to get us to think a certain way. He wants us to have complete reliance on him and not depend on what the world is going to tell you to depend on. Check out what happens. Then the Lord said to Moses, if they do not believe you and are, are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe, there's like three backup plans here. Verse nine. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River, pour it out on the dry ground, and when you do, the water from the Nile will turn into blood on the ground. But now listen to this in verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. See, the exercise that God was doing with Moses was not just so people of Israel, so that people of Israel would believe, but rather that Moses would believe. You know what's interesting about this relationship? Is God knew that Moses was not ready for what's ahead. God knew that Moses was gonna have excuses. God knew that Moses was gonna ask a bunch of questions. So he said, you know what? When Moses begins to doubt me, I'm going to show him some miracles. I'm not only going to show him miracles, he's going to be a part of the miracle. And I'm not going to do it one time. I'm going to do it two times. And you know what? Even if he asks and he still doesn't believe, I'm going to give him a third one. And after that, if he doesn't believe, then I'm going to work with him. You know what goes on to happen? Moses says, hey, I know you're worried about this tongue-tied problem, which is a small problem for me, but you have your brother Aaron, and I'm going to put you with your brother Aaron, and he could speak just fine, but you're going to lead your people. Even after the doubt, even after the miracles, miracle after miracle, God still trusts Moses. Do you know why God does that? Because we can't stop what his plan is. I want that type of connection to where I could say, God, I'm gonna doubt you on this one. 
I'm gonna go to you in prayer, but I'm gonna doubt you. I'm gonna try not to believe the bad report I just got, but I need you to be with me. God, I need you to be with me. I need to have this great connection to where even when my faith is wavering a little bit, I know you're not gonna leave me. That's the connection I want. That Moses connection. Understanding even, Lord, when I doubt you, I know you're still gonna be there for me. That's the connection I want. See, when we don't have that connection, church, we start to panic. We start to call the world. We call in experts. We call in people. And we start to listen to the excuses and the narratives that people have in their own lives. And we adopt those excuses and those narratives saying, God can't use me. God can't work a miracle. God can't be persuasive. And we begin to think like that, just like Moses thought. Narratives you tell yourself. If I serve the Lord, what am I, what am I going to have to give up? What will my family think if I serve the Lord? How will it affect my job if I serve the Lord? I don't want to be called a hypocrite like everyone else in the church. I don't want to be like my spouse who loves the Lord. I don't want to be judged. I'm a sinner and I'm not good enough to be with the Lord. I don't know enough about the Bible to even believe it. So what are your excuses for not building a connection to God? What are some of the things that you've told yourself that has limited God in your life? See, you gotta stop holding on to old foundations, church. Stop with the old foundation. Stop with the, what you've learned in the world because the scriptures begin to tear that apart. And the way we think needs to change. Should no longer be influenced by what happened to us in the world. We should have a new understanding, a renewed mind to where we could press forward and say, you know what, God? No matter the circumstance, I'm still gonna worship you. Even in my wavering faith, I wanna develop a connection with the Lord where I know he's not gonna leave by, by my side because I've seen the miracles. I've seen what he's done in my life. I've seen what he's taken me out of. And you know, even when I doubt, I'm gonna remember that in those times, I've built a connection where God's rescued me from every circumstance that I put in front of him. It's consistency. That's the connection I want, a stable strong connection that's not intermittent. It's not wavering, but it's strong because I have the understanding and I'm not influenced by this world. So I'm here to tell you today, church, destroy anything that is hindering that connection to Christ. It could be a number of things. It could be drugs. It could be a relationship. But if you're really serious about building a connection with the Lord, you'd do that tonight. If you could physically destroy it, destroy it. If you could sever the relationship, take that number out of your phone now. Unfriend them, whatever it may be. The other thing I'm gonna challenge you to do is you confess it. You give it to God. You confess the things that are holding you back. The things that you continue to dabble in that you won't let go because that confession brings healing. It brings progression and it strengthens the connection. Will you bow your heads with me? 
Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.